so I'm I'm just negotiating back and forth with with the with the Frenchman, right? And uh, and he offers me, you know, six figures. You know, he offers me just over six. I think he offered me like one hundred two. And I told my wife, I go, oh my god, I just got a, a six figure offer. Like that, that's for me. That's a big milestone. No degree, no problem. Any problem we can solve them. Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends, invite them to subscribe, and connect with us on social media. So today, I have Danny Ruelas. I just know you do some quality control stuff, so tell the audience (laughs) a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, my name is uh, Danny Rellis, um, and I do quality control. And I currently work for uh, one of the largest cannabis companies in California. The brand name is Raw Garden. And it's kind of crazy that I found myself here in cannabis after more than a decade of working in the food industry okay. and food in food factories, uh, managing quality control and food safety. Um, so today, um, my 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 job is pretty incredible. Uh, everybody wonders if if all I do is sample cannabis, yeah. and it's part of my job. It actually is part of my job to sample cannabis. I actually take home samples, and I sample uh, extracts, and I do it scientifically. I know that might sound a little weird, but yeah, I, I fill out a survey each time I try a sample. And uh, I'm um, judging it on the characteristics that that we consider in specification for our product and, and what our customers like. And um, yeah, I that that's my that's my job. I'm the head of quality for a big cannabis company. Wow, that's cool. You know, it's interesting. I went to a cannabis career fair, and I was talking to people. I was doing some resumes for people, and man, they were going in on like all these technical terms. It wasn't just like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah. we smoke weed." It's like, "Hey, we look into the science. We look into the soil oh, yeah. quality. We look into the temperature." We. It was serious, and it's. I love seeing people who are very serious because it. The industry has a stigma of like, oh, you know, but it's people who are really passionate, and there are a lot of things associated with it. So that's a very interesting thing, and you're in food quality control. So let's kind of take it back. Would you want to be in high school? And how was high school like for you? So high school was was incredible. You know, I consider it probably the best time of my life. You know, when I was 16, I had long dreadlocks. I had, well, not long. I had yeah. short dreadlocks like Zach De La Rocha from, from Rage Against the Machine. I had a band and uh, I would play, you know, during lunch and we would play parties. And that was my dream was to become uh, a famous musician. And, you know, I was inspired by, you know, a lot of the new metal was coming out at that time. This is the 90, you know, like mid to late 90s. So there was Korn and Deftones and Limp Bizkit. And so we were kind of playing that type of music. And that was my dream. That was what I thought I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life. And so um, I pursued that, you know, other than the band after after I turned 18 or 19, got a little serious with my girlfriend and I stopped playing with the band, but I continued to produce music um, at home. And I eventually started to rent a studio where I would do recordings. And um, I pursued that all through my 20s. So I was doing, I was actually just working jobs so that I can continue to do music. So I can just, so I didn't really care about a career path. I was doing, you know, cell phone sales, uh, car sales. I was doing a lot of sales in my 20s 
so that I could, you know, work just so that I can go to the studio afterwards and write music. Wow, that's cool. So how was that? What was that living like? So obviously you hear the you hear the stereotype of the of the starving artist, right? And so that's what it was. It was it was always me living with a bunch of roommates, you know, like uh, I actually bought a house when I was 21. I don't know how I qualified, but but I qualified for a house. And at the time, the, the rent or the mortgage was only like 800 bucks. And so and it was a three bedroom house. So I just moved, you know, I moved two buddies in, had a buddy crash on the couch and our rent was like 150 bucks a month yeah. each, you know, and uh and we all played music. We had one big central room where we had the recording set up and we had the drums and everything. And so uh, we weren't rich. We had enough money for beer and ramen noodles uh, and plenty of time to jam out and to play. And so we had a bunch of different uh, projects. So it wasn't just my band and, and one project, but, you know, the roommate had their side projects. So they would have buddies come over and they would jam. And then we would all get together and jam together and kind of just freestyle together. And so that was like, you know, from like 20 to 23, uh, just kind of being creative, writing stuff. And that's when I started to kind of learn um, software. That's when I first started getting into software because of the music software. So recording yeah. software, um, electronic music production. I went from Fruity Loops to Reason uh, to finally into Pro Tools. And that's where I got my computer chops. I mean, I think that actually set up the foundation for my professional ability to learn software really, really fast was because I was constantly trying to figure out and going to YouTube and, you know, learning all the different techniques for like the recording styles I wanted to do. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was early twenties and that continued till I was about 29 actually. So I moved out of that house and, you know, had a little studio. I would write music from 11 PM till six in the morning. I would just be up writing, 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 Take, and I would just crash at the studio, wake up like 2 p.m., you know, like yeah. the studio was all dark, pitch black. I didn't even know what time it, it was when I woke up. And I actually wrote and I would say, yeah, in between like 23 and 27, probably wrote like 500 songs, like wow. 500 individual songs. Some of it I collaborated with some friends, but most of it I did it all on my own. So, you know, I was able I'm, I'm able to play guitar, bass, drums, sing a little bit, keyboard, and I'm pretty good at composing and arranging songs. So that was a that was like the first half of my I would call it like, you know, if you if you split a book into into the Old Testament and the New yeah, Testament, yeah, yeah. the Old Testament was all about music. Right. It was all about being an artist, all about music. Um, and then. I remember it was the crash, the the 2008 yeah. like housing bubble, right? 2008 housing bubble is where I pivoted pretty hard, and I started to take. Uh, I wanted to get out of sales. Uh, I wasn't happy doing it. I lost my job in 2008, and I started looking around for other sales jobs. And you know, I found like weekend gigs selling printers at Best Buy, yeah. and you know, I was just trying, you know, I was just trying to make ends meet. I ended up moving back in with my dad. Um, had to swallow my pride, but I moved back in. You know, I didn't have enough to to rent yeah. on my own. And it was during that year, between 2008 and 2009, that I couldn't like I couldn't find a full time job that I could you know afford yeah. to move out again and and be on my own. And that was the big pivot for me that that took me into quality control, which is so it was such a, a such a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody tells you, you know, you, know, you got to put in your resumes, you should go knock, you know, you should go ask, you should follow up, 
right? You know, like when you're a kid and you're doing entry level stuff, and and I didn't have a de- you know I didn't have a degree, and you know obviously it's it's rough. You know, like you're filling out the online applications. It's it's become better. Yeah. Let me tell you that. Like LinkedIn and things have made it easier to apply to jobs. But then it was like you'd have to fill out the long computer application, and then at the end it would ask you for your resume, and then they wouldn't call you back, right? Yeah. And so I would follow up, and I, I remember I got to the point where my desperation was showing an interview. So when I did get one or two yeah. interviews to get back to work, I mean, I was just like projecting desperateness, yeah. which is the worst thing, right? You know, they want they want an asset, they want they want somebody to come in to to add value to their company, not to like, you know, I was like essentially begging for a job. And um I remember this really uh this really cool story. So it, it was that rough year between 2008 and 2009. I've interviewed at, at a couple places some cell phone I mean, I was like, screwed, I'm going to go back to sales. I couldn't even get a sales job anymore. Yeah. And um I remember I, I applied it for AT&T for a customer service rep, right? And for like an on, on the phone customer service rep. I went to the interview and there was like a classroom and there was like 15 or 16 other people dressed nice and they were there for the same job position. Yeah. And they actually handed out like an IQ test. Yeah. Like it didn't say it was an IQ test, but it was like a test, right? Like we all had a test and I started doing it and I knew exactly what it was. It was an IQ test. It was a bunch yeah. of like abstract and like finish, you know, one, two, three, four, fill in four. And I remember doing it and, uh, and finishing. And I remember they said this person and this person, which I was one of them, um, please stay. Everybody else can leave. So they all left and me and the other person qualified for the next step. And the interview, and essentially they, that that was the. I mean, they were going to hire me at that point, so I went on to the next the next interview, and they're basically saying, you know, trying to gauge you know how much computer skills I have, and walking me through the two different systems that they use for customer service. Yeah. And I was so stoked to start, and they had me starting like in two weeks. I, I remember it was like October fifteenth yeah. or something like that, and then I get a call a week before. We just put in a hiring freeze and we're not going to be able to hire for your position. Man, that's messed up. And I remember, I know, I just remember feeling so devastated. I was like, you know, I was desperate. It was going on six months of unemployment, you know, not nailing any interviews whatsoever. And this job seemed like a very stable, like it was going to be a nice job with good benefits. And I felt so proud that I had nailed that test and all the other people had to leave. Like I felt like, yeah, I made it. And, uh, yeah, they called me and, you know, I remember the, I I still remember the lady's name. Her name was, her name was Teresa and she was so nice, but she's like, I'm so sorry, but I, you know, we put in a hiring freeze, you know, it was the economy at the time. It was really, really tough in 2008 to 2009. And so finally my mom says, why don't you call your aunt, her sister? Why don't you call your aunt? She works at a food company and a food factory and she might be able to get you something. You never know. And I was like, ah, I don't want to work in a factory. You know, yeah. like that sounds that sounds shitty. You know, yeah. like I don't want to work in a factory. Uh, I'd rather do sales. And uh, she's like, well, you never know. So I call her up and uh, and I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for a position. She goes, you know, I have a position open right now. It's it's assistant to the plant manager. So you're good with computers, right? Yeah, I'm good with computers. Yeah, I think that'd be really good for you. Let me see if I can get you in. So I go in for an interview. I feel like I nailed the interview. And about a week later, my aunt calls me. She goes, I'm sorry, but they chose somebody else for the position. And I just remember crying. I mean, that was was it. That was like the last straw, you know? Like, so I just remember crying. And and my girlfriend at the time, you know, I just remember her like consoling me. It's going to be okay. 
And I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to, to, to get a job ever again. And then um, I get a call a few days later from my aunt. She goes, you know what? The person that they picked actually was an internal hire. And so she's been promoted up to the assistant to the plant manager. But she left the quality department. She was the assistant in the quality department. So that position's now open. So it's kind of the same thing, but you won't be reporting to the plant manager. You'll yeah. be reporting to the quality manager. And I was like, I'll take it. You know, yeah. I was like, at that point, I'll take anything, yeah, right? Yeah. So I go in, I start this job. I remember it was it was $14 an hour and I was a temporary staffer and I went in and the quality manager, it was his first day too. So it was like me and him started on the same day and, you know, just getting to meet the the people in the quality lab. The company was a a, a co-manufacturer, so they made products for big brand names, yeah. right? But they did it in their factory, so they would white label the the products with the brand with the brand names and they did pasta sauce alfredo and then salsas nacho cheese so frito-lay they made yeah. frito-lay products nacho cheese salsa so i went in and basically i feel like the people in the department were like who is this guy like they didn't they didn't want to accept me at first and you know because i uh, they all had to work pretty hard and i was like an assistant so i would sit at a computer and i would just do like technical work I would take certificates of analysis, which is like what ingredients come with like a certificate that tells you that they're good. Yeah. And I would, you know, log that. But eventually after about six months, I felt like they, they accepted me. I was able to solve problems for, for some of the technicians and I made really good friends. And it was the beginning of my career and, and quality and food safety in it. And it, it, it's taken me to places I never thought I would be in my life. I figured that the, the musician, uh, the rock star thing had kind of sailed yeah. already, you know, even though I had some commercial successes with um, some music that got played on Netflix. Oh, I was on an episode of Pawn Stars. Um, so my music was getting picked up here and there um, of those 500 songs I wrote. I published them all. Yeah. And so I, I published I, I, I shared the royalties with the publisher. They would put the music out there. Somebody would pick up the music, place it on something. Even then, I mean, I was on I was on a Netflix novella as the opening song. Yeah. So I have I've have millions and millions of listeners to my song, yeah. and the royalties for that whole duration of the thing was less than eight hundred bucks. Oh man! So it was like, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, I here I'm I'm the song on this hit novella. Uh, people were reaching out to me on Facebook yeah. asking me, you know, when I'm touring in Mexico, and I'm like, I, it's like <laughs> it's just me in a it's just me in a bedroom, right? You know, doing doing the music. Um, so, you know, like I said, the, the musician thing had, had kind of, you know, uh, I kind of gave up on that dream yeah. as long as far as it providing me with an income and, and being able to pay rent. And, uh, this quality control job is as boring as it was in the beginning and, you know, kind of way different than my artistic yeah. side. I decided, Hey, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty structured. I mean, it's consistent. I don't feel like, yeah. It, it was like my boss was really, really cool. Nothing. There was nothing about it that that felt high pressure, like sales felt, right? So I felt pretty comfortable. And I think the turning point where I started to really accelerate and, and move up the ladder in in quality control is when that boss, the, the one that that started that same day, I, he left. He left the company, and they didn't hire a new manager for almost two years. Like they just didn't like anybody who interviewed for the position, right? They wanted somebody who fit the culture and everybody they interviewed. And this is typical. A lot of quality managers, they come out, you know, they study microbiology. 
uh, or they study chemistry. And so they're kind of left brain, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not as artistic. And, and it just seemed like this company had a really good vibe. And so they, they didn't hire anybody for two years. So guess who fills in yeah. for the quality manager? It's me. So for two years, I, I started like, it was like an acceleration of what I needed to learn. So all of a sudden, um, the, you know, the plant manager is like, you need to get this certification. You need to get a HACCP certification. So a HACCP certification is, is something you know, a quality manager in the food industry needs to have, right? You need to get an SQF certification. You need to get this type, type of training because he wasn't just doing it to, for my career, but you actually, you had to have a person on site with those certifications in, in order to produce the food. Yeah. And especially for our clients, you know, we had big clients, Nestle, Frito-Lay, uh, Heinz, uh, General Mills, all those companies, they, they require you to have somebody yeah. on site that has, you know, the certification. And actually, it's one of those niche uh, industries where it's, it's, it's hard to get in as a quality manager without a degree. But if you have the certifications, a lot of people will overlook the degree, yeah. right? Because the, the, the science of quality, there's a little bit of chemistry that you need sometimes. There's a little bit of microbiology, but it's really just about applying a system, right? And, and you don't need to be an expert, to, an expert in microbiology to, to, to apply a system. And so those certifications that I got, and this is something that for anybody who's listening out there and who might be thinking of a career path that that they can get into without a degree. Quality control is a great career path. You get in, you take a certification. It's like 800 bucks. It'll take you a week to get through it. And it's nothing super intense that you couldn't do. Anybody with a reasonable amount of intelligence and common sense could pass these certifications. And that is what accelerated, accelerated my career. And then so all of a sudden, I'm an analyst. I'm a supervisor. They hire a quality manager, right? Because they they still wanted somebody with a degree. They still wanted somebody that 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 had that that level, you know, in that manager position. But that that guy became my mentor, and um, and so he mentored me through about three years. I did like a thousand hours of audits. Like I worked with the FDA, the USDA, the California Health Department, and then all of our major clients would come out once a year and audit us. They, they wanted to see our paperwork. They wanted to see our quality system. They wanted to know that our thermometers were calibrated. You know, everything you could think of like that, that science that you can verify and validate that something is safe to, to sell to the public. And I was just, you know, I was just absorbing and absorbing all this information, getting my certifications and then applying it through these audits. So it was like, it wasn't just the education I got through certifications, but it was like this rapid fire auditing that I had to, that I had to be a part of. And so I just got like, I got all the, the practice in, you know, like I got all those strokes in all those thousands of hours of audits. And I came out of that just understanding how it all worked, like at an expert level. And so I have a handle on, on Twitter as the quality expert, right? Or the quality control guy. And, you know, my personal brand is the quality expert. And, and I think I got there because, well, not because of a degree. I didn't need the microbiology degree. I took microbiology and I took chemistry. I just never, I never finished college. Yeah. And so, you know, the, for me, the magic formula was the combination of certifications and then filling in for the absence of a manager, you know, like given that opportunity to fill in and then working for a company that had all these major companies that it worked for and just having to know everything. And, and it was like every month it was a repeat, another audit. I would have to go from the very first policy all the way through all our systems, explain it to everybody, make thing, make sure that everything made sense, be able to prove that we were doing what we said we were doing. And it just became second nature to me. 
And um, that's what that's what made me decide to um, update my LinkedIn. So LinkedIn was just coming out. I think it had only been out for a few years. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a profile. And so I created a profile. And uh, after I'd been with, the, with that company for nine years, I get a call from a from a company in the same city. I, I grew up in Fresno, California, and uh, it was a pet treat company. And they were they wanted they wanted an SQF, which is called, it's a safe quality foods certification, right? And they really looked at my LinkedIn. They saw that I was SQF certified. I had my certification that I had done several SQF audits. And I think at the time I had put my audit scores on there like every year. Yeah. So I had a hundred, I had a hundred out of a hundred one year and it was always like 94, 95, yeah. 96 out of a hundred. And they were, they were trying to get uh, business and they couldn't get the business without the certification. So they lured me over, you know, and it was my first time I negotiated a salary. Okay. Uh, I think I remember the salary was like 70, 75,000. I'd gone and, and I think they offered me 60. Yeah. I'd gone for, I'd gone with a presentation on a, on an iPad to the CEO. And I, you know, did my research on, on, um, uh, careers.com, you know, yeah. what a quality manager should make. And it put like the median right around 75, but I asked for 86. Right. Yeah. And this guy was pretty tough and he was like, I'll, I'll give you 75. Right. And I said, okay, I'll take the job. Right. So I took that job and, um, it was the first time I was on my own. Right. I didn't have a huge department. There was only a few people that I managed and they, they wanted that certification in less than six months. And typically it takes about a year to put a system, yeah. a, a full quality control system in place, different product that I, than I'm used to never dealt with pet treats before and, and the way that they're processed. Uh, luckily it still was under the FDA, yeah. uh, surprisingly. So the FDA still manages pet food. They manage it very similar to, to people food. And, um, it, within, within four months we were certified wow. for SQF. So we had the auditor out past the audit. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of, I proved myself, you know, like the guy took a, the CEO of this company took a risk on me. I mean, I guess he hedged his bets cause he didn't want to, yeah. you know, he didn't want to pay a salary of somebody that had the degree already. Right. So he was like, I'll take this kid who's looks like he's been successful, you know, and moving up the ladder and, and learning these things. And yeah, I proved myself. I was able to get that, that position. And so, um, so what did I do? You know, I went back to my LinkedIn and I actually paid. This is another thing, another piece of advice. I paid someone to go and do my resume, to redo my resume yeah. and to redo my LinkedIn. And um, I think I paid 300 bucks at the time. You know, I didn't know about the formatting for resumes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know about, you know, you know, keywords and, and how, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't yeah. know how to promote myself professionally. And he did that. And within two weeks, I'm getting a call from, from the Bay Area. I'm getting a call from, from a San Francisco company. And guess what they want? They want an SQF certification, right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to get one They're of these try- certifications. Yeah, man. Like- you should. You should. <laughs> You should, you should. Everybody, everybody who's who's in transition, just go, you know, go get a, either a HACCP certification or an SQF certification. Put that on your resume and you're and you're golden, right? So, uh, so a French company, uh, they're called Petit Pot. They're out of San Francisco, California, or yeah, San Francisco, California. And um, the guy calls me and he's got this really thick French accent, and he goes, I, you know, I'm looking at your resume and everything on your resume fits exactly what we're looking for. Like every yeah. single accomplishment. We're looking to get into Costco. Yeah. I see that you've done Costco audits before. We're looking to get into Whole Foods. I see that you've done Whole Foods stuff before. And he's like, it just, it just matches. So, you know, I, I start thinking, 
okay, how am I going to tell my wife that we're moving to the Bay Area? Because yeah. <laughs> it's super ex- – I mean, the, the cost of living in San Francisco is just so much more expensive than at Fresno. Yeah. If you're not familiar, Fresno, California, it's a pretty relatively low cost of living, yeah. one of the cheaper places in California to live. So I'm, I'm just negotiating back and forth with, with, the, with the Frenchman, right? Yeah. And uh, and he offers me you know six figures. You know, He offers me just over six yeah. – I think he offered me like 102 and I told my wife, I go, oh, my God, I just got a, a six-figure offer. For yeah. me, that's a big milestone. And she goes, but what does that really mean when the cost of living is accounted for? So I did the calculations, right? And I said, it's equal. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. going to be like 102 in the Bay Area is the same as 75 in, in, in yeah. Fresno, California. And uh, she goes, then why are we going to, like, pick up and move and, and do all this stuff? And I said, wow, maybe I can negotiate more. So I went back to the negotiating tables. I was able to negotiate more, just enough yeah. so my wife would be like, okay, it's going to be worth it yeah, for yeah. us to do it. So so we moved to the Bay Area, um, and I started working for the French company. They did uh, they did puddings, refrigerated puddings and little glass jars, very delicious foods. And the same story. Within about, within about three or four months, we had the auditor there, and we were certified to sell into Costco. And that was like that became like 30% of the revenue. Like once they got into Costco, they were doing weeks at a time of production just for Costco orders. Right. And then within a year, uh, we were able to get the SQF certification, which is like the Cadillac of audits. If you're a food company, um, we're able to get certified. And just after that, I get a phone call from a recruiter and it's, it's the cannabis industry, right? And it's it's the second largest company in California. And they've been recruiting for a quality manager for, I, f- I forget how long they were looking for, for 10, 11 months and haven't found the right fit, the right cultural fit, right? right? A lot of people with degrees, a lot of people with chemistry degrees out there, a lot of people in the food industry who could do it. And everybody they interviewed was just too buttoned up yeah, you know edge. like two, two, two straight edge right two square especially for that industry and so you know the interview kind of went like this story i'm telling you right now you know like i just told my story told them about you know being a musician told them about having a little bit of commercial sex success even though i didn't make yeah. a lot of money in music and um and then within a couple of weeks i was on site doing the you know meeting people and doing interviews and being taken to dinner and uh and, you know, you know, pretty much being, you know, groomed and, and lavished with, with yeah. you know, like, hey, they were trying they were really trying to get me. And um, and that's when I negotiated the biggest salary that, that I've ever been able to negotiate. And I won't disclose yeah. it now because I currently work there. But, you know, it's 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 substantially more than I was making at, at yeah. the French company, which was was a little bit less than 125 K. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a, a pretty incredible ride for this food safety and these, you know, quality control concepts to take me to where I'm at now. And, and that kind of brings us back to, you know, uh, I've been, I've been in the cannabis industry for almost a year and a half. And I've tried to bring some structure to a very kind of wild west, you know, industry. So there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of scientists that we work with, uh, people who work in horticulture, people who work in genetics and breeding, people who work in chemistry and organic chemistry, um, but they don't have the holistic structure of how you manage quality and how it's not a, 
finding defects and, ma- and making sure that they don't go out to public. It's preventing defects from happening. And that takes a lot of planning. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been very challenging. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's, I've gone in and, you know, just achieved everything I've done in the past, uh, with other companies. It's been more difficult to, to, yeah. to get really people to buy in because there's an old school mentality that like, Hey, just grow the weed. You make sure the weed's good and the customer's going to be happy. And that's part of it. But as, as this company scales, and as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know, we're talking over $100 million in revenue a year, you know, things start to get lost. Yeah. You know, like communication starts to dissipate throughout a big company. We have several different sites, you know, where people work. And then COVID has everybody working remotely. And so it's been a challenge, but I keep every day, you know, every day I'm, I'm part of, you know, I'm part of senior management. And I'm part of the, the executive uh, meetings that we have every morning. And every day it's about reminding people what it is, what quality is, what it means and how we achieve it. And we achieve it just on a day-to-day basis by everybody caring and putting details into what we make and, and, and to what we work. And then, you know, the whole documentation thing, right? Measuring, doesn't meet the specification. I mean, we measure joints. We measure each joint. Wow, like it has to be it has to be exactly the right length. It has to be obviously it has to be the right weight because yeah. it's what we put on the on the label. But it's got, you know, the, the way we test joints is is pretty incredible. So we use we use machines to actually emulate smoking, right? Yeah. So we put in a, we <laughs> we call them the smoking machine, right? We put it in its little mouth and we turn the machine on and it and it, and it pulls air through. And that tells us whether it's going to hit right, yeah. right? Whether it's going to be too hard to pull through or whether it's going to light too quickly and burn off too fast. Um and then obviously we also sell concentrates. So we sell dabs, which is, you know, they call it wax or dabs and people vaporize that um, in their own little uh, rigs, bongs, where they use like a torch to heat up the, they yeah. use a torch to heat up the bowl and then they put the dab and vaporizes it. Um, we sell um, vape pens, which is oil. All that's done with some pretty intense chemistry yeah. and some pretty intense temperatures, you know, sub-zero temperatures and pressures and all those things when I got there was all what they would call tribal knowledge, right? So like just the guys who work there know how to do it, right? Like they know exactly what, when to do, you know, when to turn this valve, when to turn that stuff, but there was no, there was no control system, right? Because if that person moves on to another job, how are you going to teach this new kid, you know, who's coming on off the street, how to do everything. And so, uh, that's what we've done over the last, over the last year is, is analyze every step in the process and figure out, where do you know what are the ranges we need for temperature and how do we control those and so we started purchasing all kinds of equipment that are used by technicians that are going around and taking these measurements and these readings and for the most part everything is always in spec like almost all the time but when it's not it's now automatic what they do what they do is they they stop they give me a call should we keep going i said no you shouldn't keep going fix the issue and then you go after that otherwise you're going to ruin the batch right the batch is going to come out dark or it's going to come out less potent or it's going to come out smelling weird or whatever it might be you know we know specifically what it is we have to control in order to get the finished product to work well so that's today man that's cool that's cool i mean i love it it's cool just how you know you've really been through the lows of lows because well, a lot of people don't get job seeking is brutal. And especially when you feel like, yo, I had it and you had it taken away. Cause I had that, right? When you thought you had it and you go on the call and they're just like, hey, uh, just call and let you know that it's filled. And it's like, wow, yeah. I didn't have a shot. Like, Definitely. it's just like, yo, yeah. I, so no, thank you for sharing that. So now looking back in your career, what would you say 
helped you get ahead? Because you really stuck to things. What was that that helped you get ahead? One thing was just getting being mature, right? Like I think in your 20s, you have an idea of what it is to be responsible and mature, but you don't buy into it, right? Yeah. Like, like you, it's almost like like sobriety. It's like in your 20s, it's like, yeah, I know what it means to, to, to not drink or, 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 yeah. or do that, but yeah, I, I want to drink. So there was this, there was this right around the time I was 29 and I had been at the, the food company for about a year and a half and I just felt like more settled down. So one of the things was just being, you know, wanting stability. I think that was one of the things is I yeah. wanted a little bit of stability. The artistic life was kind of, it was just getting too old for it. Yeah. I was growing out of it. So that, that was one of the key factors because I, I just remember feeling like, I actually remember my girlfriend at the time, she goes, do you think you're in the right place? And I said, and I have a lucky number. I was lucky number 23. And I said, well, my office is 23. My locker is 23. I think there's something about yeah. where I'm at right now that it was meant to be. And I just remember her face because she was an artist as well. And she just seemed like, and she was younger than me. So she was like, hmm, you know, like, it seems like you're giving up on the artist dream and you're now, you know, settling down. And I was, I was. So that was one of the things is I decided like, hey, I'm going to take work seriously because I didn't want to be in that position yeah. that I was having to move back in with my dad, having to ask him for money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hey, dad, can I get like 30 bucks so I can take my girlfriend out? Um, so that, so, you know, you learn from pain sometimes and you learn from those experiences where you don't want to go back to. So that was, that was one of them, just, just getting more mature and not wanting to be broke again. Um, and then number two, you know, those, those certifications, they, they, they made all the difference in the world. Um, and it was, it wasn't me going, I need to go get the certification. It was like the, it was the plant manager saying, Hey, we need somebody on, on site that has this, like, do you want to get it? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then it became like an addiction. Yeah. Like anytime a new certification came out, I was like, oh, I need to get that certification too. So, you know, on my resume now I have, you know, probably seven or eight different certifications that apply specifically to quality control. I went back to school, still didn't finish, but I went back to study a little bit of food chemistry and food science, yeah. you know, got good grades, still haven't finished. And it really hasn't affected me ne negatively. And, and those certifications... Now, obviously, you know, the the barrier to entry is difficult without a, yeah. without a degree. Sometimes you can't even get the interview, right? Um, or they come back to you and like, oh, do you have... Like, I had an, I had an interview um, where basically, you know, they gave me the interview and they go, oh, and, you know, where did you go to school? And I said, well, I just have my high school diploma. Oh, okay. We just wanted to make sure. And then I never got a call back oh, from them, right? Man. And so it's like... Uh, you know, you face that without a degree, but those certifications, they stack up. So if you're in the realm of, of food safety or quality, and, and think about it this way, like the food factory brought me to the weed fields, yeah. right? So I didn't know that it would take me there, but it crossed over really, really well. Yeah. And so I got to go learn about like horticulture and stuff that I never knew about, right? And then when we take when we take the cannabis and we go manufacture it and turn it into products, I know everything about that, yeah. right? Like for me, that is just like the food world, right? I know about packaging and automation machines and, and measuring stuff and temperatures and times and all that. All that stuff is like second na nature to me. So that was really the turning point. And that's really what I relied on is those certifications. They taught me a lot. And I would say the third thing is that I really, I really enjoy uh, teaching and I really enjoy training people. So working with frontline workers, working with people in the field, working with people who are like on a machine all day, making just over minimum wage, 
teaching those people the concepts that I've learned over the years gives me a lot of joy. Yeah. It's something I really enjoy about my job. So, so where I work now, I'm, you know, I'm the head of learning and development. So I get to create programs and I get to create uh, educational uh, curriculums for people to, to elevate their own. So I think the workplace is like better than college. Yeah, yeah. If you have the right, yeah, if you have the right people and you have the right culture and you have the right person, you know, deciding what type of curriculum you can learn to improve your skills, I think that the workplace can be just way better than the college, especially for frontline workers who are often, you know, either they're recent immigrants or they're uh, language barrier. They only speak, you know, they only speak their natives, like yeah. in Spanish or in, in the Bay Area, we had like seven different languages all on one production yeah. line because the Bay Area is kind of a melting pot, right? And so if I can teach them that there is value, like there's value in this industry. You don't have to go to school to become a doctor. You don't have to school, yeah. go to school to become a lawyer. You can actually work in a factory, but move your way up in the factory, right? And be at the top, kind of organizing and running things. And it's not that hard. You just have to take some accountability, some responsibility, learn how things work, and uh, and then put in, put in your time, put in some hard work and some sweat. So those are the three things. I think, you know, just growing up a little bit at the edge of my 20s and then you know, taking those certifications that were that were offered to me, taking that opportunity for free training. And then number three is just having a passion for teaching because that kind of that kind of elevated my status in the company is because I would be sent to headquarters in New York to go train a group over there or I would be sent to a conference in Portland to go get a certification. I would bring back that knowledge to the plant. So those were the things that for me, I think, um, really helped push my career. And then focusing on the resume, right? Like, I don't, even though I don't have a degree, how can I make my resume stand yeah. out? And for me, I didn't have those skills to do the resume. I'm not a great writer. I'm not a great, uh, I'm not like yeah. super great with words. I have dyslexia. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay somebody, you know, like uh, I, recently, you know, there's a Naval Ravikant. I yeah, know you've probably heard, you've heard, yeah. heard of it. So Naval, is, he's like, why would you do something that you could pay somebody else to do, you know, for much less than what your time is worth. Yeah, yeah. So like if your time is worth, let's say if you, if your time is worth a hundred dollars an hour, then why are you going to go do something for three hours yeah. when you could just pay somebody a hundred bucks to do it? Right. Yeah. It's a very smart thing. Cause you know, it's funny. I write resumes and I've written yeah, over 400 I, I, and I tell people, look, you could spend 30 to a hundred hours learning all the ins and outs. You could just pay me and you'll get a yeah. job way quicker and you'll get the raise because I've I've been doing this thousands of hours. Like, yeah, there's like at this point, it's like, look, if it's going to take me too long to research, let me just get someone who knows their stuff. It's just saving you so much time because there's only so much you can learn in a given yeah. amount of time. Yeah. And then you have to get the stroke and then you can learn everything. You can absorb all the information you want, but then you have to go apply yeah. it. And then it takes trial and error and trial and error and trial and error until you get really good at it. So for me, paying to get my resume done. And I could tell you, like, right after I paid, it was only three weeks that I got a call from the Bay Area. And it was like, boom, it started showing up on people's, you know, on recruiters feeds. And, and, and like the like the Frenchman said, he goes, I'm reading your resume and it has exactly everything we're looking for. Boom, 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 yeah. boom. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so glad I had that rewritten by somebody, you know, because if it was just me, then, you know, it wouldn't I would have. I would have taken it like, you know, I'm trying to like show off my, my personality myself. People are really looking for those, yeah, those hard straight. skills a lot of times. I tell yeah. people the soft skills, the interviews for the soft skills, the resume, yeah. just tell them, hey, I got this audit done in yep. four months. I got this audit done for X, Y, Z, which is yep. like, you know, 66% faster than the average amount of time. Now, I want to ask you, which certifications are the most important? And can you get these certifications outside of working for a company? Can people get them on the Oh, own? yeah, for sure. 
Oh yeah, you can just go online right now and start your certification. Yeah. So like, uh, so the there's three that I would recommend, right? So there's one called the HACCP certification. HACCP is an acronym, H-A-C-C-P. Okay. And that stands for Hazard Analysis Critical Control Point. It's how you look at a process and you identify where the hazards are, and then you put critical control points in place, right? It's pretty straightforward. Um, that certification, you actually have to write a HACCP. They'll give you like a prompt like, hey, you're XYZ company, and this is what you make, and this is the process, write the HACCP plan. And so after your course, you go into almost like a college level, like, yeah. you know, report that you turn in. You put in, okay, here's my here's my fictional food company that makes vegetable sandwiches or whatever, yeah. whatever sandwiches. Here are all the different machines that are in there. Here's where I've put this critical control point. Here's my justification for doing that. So the HACCP certification. Less than a thousand bucks, usually around eight hundred and fifty bucks, and you can go online right now and just type in HACCP certifications, and you could just take that on your own, on your own time. You can knock it out without sweating in a month, yeah. right? Just a couple hours a week. Um, turn in your report, and they actually have like a doctor of food science who reviews your yeah. thing, and he'll and you have multiple chances. I remember, I remember, I forget the doctor's name, but he was like, "Did you consider this?" And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't consider that." And yeah. so I went back and revised it, turned it in. That looks good, but you forgot to put the tolerance. Like, yeah. how much are you gonna let go? Oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. So, so that's that's one that's really that is really it's not just specific to food industry, but it is gonna help you jump into the yeah, food yeah. industry right away. Um, it'll get you. It'll easily get you a lead or a supervisor position in the food industry without a degree. The other certification that's pretty important right now is called the PCQI. So it's a preventative controls qualified individual. So you're the qualified. So the FDA requires one person on the site to be a PCQI. Just one. It could be the plant manager. It can be anybody, but usually it's the quality manager. It's usually it's the quality manager. So the PCQI, 800 bucks. It's easier than the HACCP. It's similar concepts. It's all about where you put controls in a in a process, um, and then you know you you being the individual who's qualified get the certification to say that person knows how to analyze a analyze a system and put control points in place and manage those control points. So that's the PCQI, less than a thousand bucks. That'll get you in the door at almost any food company as well. Yeah, and then. The other one that I would really promote is a uh, is a is a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. Okay. So Lean Six Sigma is a manufacturing ideology. Um, Four hundred bucks gets you a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. If you want to be a master black belt, you have to actually go apply that certification and solve a problem in a real company yeah. and document the whole process. So the black belt in Lean Six Sigma, Lean stands for making things efficient removing waste. Six Sigma is all about controlling the consistency of quality, meaning that if you make a million units, only three of them had defects, right? Yeah. That is that is what Six Sigma is all about consistency. How do you how do you really bring things into a very, very tight range of control? And then the lean is all about walking the production floor, walking the line, looking at where people are walking way too far away to grab a tool and come all the way back to you know to use that tool if you look if you look into a fact if you 
ever go into a factory that has a good lean Six Sigma program, you're going to see that everything is identifiable with words and signs and tape on the floor. Everything is where it should be. Toolboxes are like labeled meticulously. You pull out a toolbox drawer and it's all shadowed. So like the hammer goes specifically here, not just thrown into the toolbox. So that's, that's another, that's another certification that on your resume, if you're a lean Six Sigma black belt, Typically, you're like you're like a project manager. You're you're up. You know, that puts you up at at a director level just for having that experience. So those three for me, if I were only to have three certifications that we're going to put on my on my resume, it's going to be HACCP, PCQI, and Lean Six Sigma. What about the SQF? Um, SQF is great, but here's one thing: is that there's about four or five major auditing uh, bodies. Yeah. So SQF is one of four or five. So oh. there's SQF. There's AIB, there's BRC. So there's, it just depends on, so if, if a company is like, oh, that's great, you have SQF, but we do BRC instead. Oh, I see. Now they're almost identical. Like yeah. I've read both, I've, I've done AIB audits, I've done BRC audits. Uh, I didn't get certified in those particular ones, but I mean, it's essentially the same words in different order, right? With different number structures. So the SQ, so yeah, I'm SQF uh, farm SQF and I'm post farm, which is manufacturing SQF certified. You know, that is like the next level. And it's, and like I said, it can be very specific to those. Most companies go with SQF. It's like the most recognizable uh, auditing system, but I would put PCQI, HACCP. If I only had three, it would be those three, PCQI, HACCP, and Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. Okay. So you've made, a, you've made a lot of good decisions. What would you say is some of the biggest mistakes you've made along the way? Oh, man. Just waiting too long, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, being too comfortable, I, um, that's one of them, is, is, is just kind of just being too comfortable in, in, in my shoes and not, like, I waited too long to really jump out. And uh, the decision to, to leave my hometown, or actually to leave my first job, it was very scary for me, but it was now, now that I look back, it was like the best decision I could have made. And I think that most, and th- you know, if I were to give advice is that be willing to put your head out there, be willing to apply for jobs that are way above your, your experience level. If you thought, I mean, there's people who are like, you know, I bet I could do that. I bet I could be like a marketing director. I bet I could do like acting or whatever it might be. The only way to find out is to apply or to yeah. audition or to go do it. Right. Um, so that was, that was one of the mistakes is I just waited so long. I think if I had applied some of the, the things I did with my food career to my music career, I might have been more successful in music, right? Because I never left my hometown yeah. as a musician. I, I didn't go, you know, I didn't go audition in LA. I didn't try to put bands together in, in, in areas where music was really happening. And, you know, I think that was a big mistake. In, in, in my, if I had applied the ambition that I did with my career um, in food to, to music, I think I would have been more successful. So I would say, don't wait, go take action, put your head out. The worst that can happen is someone says no, right? Yeah. And most of the time when someone says no, it's because they just haven't been educated enough on how valuable you might, you could be. Now, looking back, you have a lot of these, but what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? So, yeah, you know, I, I try not to tie, I try not to tie myself too much to my salary, right? Because at any time it can go like that, yeah. right? At any time you can be laid off. Um, the cannabis industry just recently had a big, you know, massive Canada, yeah. United States, all they all they all got obliterated by by prices dropping yeah. and they had to do layoffs. So, you know, that kind of woke me up. I was like, okay, I've done all this stuff. I, I've got this, you know, six-figure salary that I'm really proud of, but it could be gone like that, right? I think my proudest accomplishment 
is, you know, one of the habits that I, that I do every single day is meditation. And I think one of my biggest accomplishments is being consistent at being grounded in the fundamentals of, of, uh, of being a good person, right? So I've always studied philosophy. I've always studied meditation. I've, I've been, you know, I've been studying Buddhism since I was 16 or 17. And that's never, ever left me. And I had to kind of get back into it. And what's funny is like, when I got back into it, when I started to take care of my, my diet and my exercise, and I started meditating again every single morning, forcing myself to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, meditate, work out, eat healthy, go to work, that's when I got the confidence to leave my job. That's when I got the confidence to go apply at these other places. And it just kind of really, uh, I don't know what you would call that. I don't know yeah. what you, I don't know if it's a single accomplishment, but I think being consistent with the things that I knew were right. Um, I read Tim Ferriss's book and that, uh, the four hour work week. And it was right around that time I read that book that I started eating better, meditating, uh, working out, uh, lost a bunch of weight. And then I just had this confidence. And then I was like, now I need to get my resume okay. updated, right? Now I need to get onto LinkedIn. And, and then it just, it was almost like it just automatically started to happen. I, people started to reach out and say, hey, we, you know, we looked at your resume. It looks like you would be good at this, but you might have to move, you know? And I remember, uh, I remember coming back from my interview in the Bay Area and uh, my wife saying, how'd it go? And I said, are you ready to move to the Bay Area? And she goes, she was like, she didn't realize that it was really going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Like she didn't realize, like she thought I was just going and maybe they would yeah. like, you know, have an interview with me. And, you know, it was fun for me to, you know, pretend that I was going to move. No, I came back and I already knew I had the job if I, if I took it. So yeah, one of my, I would say, going back to your question, biggest accomplishment, just being consistent and making healthy choices okay. mentally and, and physically. So yeah. I know you mentioned one specific instance, but were there other instances where, the lack of degree held you back where like someone didn't call you back? It, I mean, it, it would, I would say it continues to happen now. I mean, I, 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 I'm always looking for the next level. I'm looking for a vice president level yeah. next, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a director level. Um, and, and I, I, I think that I haven't been reached out to at that. I mean, I'm, I'm at a level where it's like yeah. the degree is almost like the, it's a make or break kind of thing. Like companies aren't willing to hire a vice yeah. president or a, a chief operating officer, um, without the degree, if they don't know you, right. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, if you haven't, if you haven't proven yourself. So I, I would say that at the executive executive levels in a, in a corporate culture, yeah. right. Not as an independent freelancer or not yeah. as a, as an entrepreneur, um, that that is, it's difficult to cross that barrier no, unless so. you're the founder of the company or you have equity in the company, it's going to be difficult to get to the VP COO level, Unless you put in your work yeah. in, in one company for a long time. So I would say that, yeah, that I think in my current career path, the degree might be holding me at the director level. Um, possibly, I think I get to a VP level with, you know, with proving myself um, it, with this particular company um, that I'm at right now. But I think that that's probably in a corporate world, you know, you're really going to have to stand yeah. out. You're going to have to like really, really shine and um, yeah, so I would say that's that's probably where yeah. where it's holding me back. Have you ever felt insecure about not having the degree? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, it's you know it's it's something that it's something that I know that it's not the most important thing from a spiritual uh, point of view, but it's always there, kind of you know on, on my shoulder. Like man, if I just got the degree, yeah. You know, my wife recently got her degree, and you know she, you know we kind of put her uh, ahead. Uh, um, uh, like I, I'll work, I'll make sure that everything's held yeah. down you know, I'll earn, yeah. I'll earn the money and you get degree. I was so, so su super proud of her. 
Um, but yeah, it, it does it, psychologically. It could be it could be a weight that you carry. You yeah, know? yeah. No, I mean, thank you so much for sharing. What are your future goals? So um, I would love to get out of the rat race, yeah. right? And I would love to be an entrepreneur. So I'd like to have my own company. Um, just trying to figure out what to, you know. Yeah. There's just so many different options. I'm guilty of starting and not following through with ideas, right? Like when you don't get validation on an idea and it's not taking off, like, okay, let's go to the next idea. So I have, uh, uh, I started a a CBD company a few years ago called called, uh, Red Hot Organics, uh, incorporated an LLC, took on on a business loan, went to manufacturing, did the marketing myself, and just could not get any traction. Uh, more, more because CBD was like they won't let you uh, advertise CBD on Facebook yeah, or yeah, Google, yeah. and so yeah, you got to go knock on doors if you want to sell your CBD. And I didn't have the time. I was a director at a, yeah. at a at a food company, you know. And so I developed my own CBD hot sauce. It's a chili oil mixed with CBD. It's super good. I'll send you one. Okay. I'll send you one. You're gonna love it. Okay. Um, and um, so I did that. Um, I'm trying to write a book right now. I, I have some like working titles. And like I like I mentioned earlier in in the interview, you know, I'm dyslexic. It, it's hard yeah. for me to write. Sometimes I get I, I get frustrated. Sometimes I'm thinking yeah. faster than I can type. I don't even know how to type. And uh, so I started dictating. Like I was going to suggest that. I was yeah. I started dictating everything, and uh, I do it at work. I dictate emails. I dictate. I even dictate like standard operating yeah. procedures. Like when I'm setting up a quality control system, I'm just talking it out, and then I'll go back and edit it. Yeah. Um. And so I started putting together. It was only a, I would say like a month ago, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I'm like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about how you can use dictation and AI and other techniques to actually get a book done, yeah, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of people have this mental block, like if you're not a good writer and you don't type well or you don't like to write in hand, you're never going to write a book. And then I just started doing the research and I was like, all these famous authors dictate their first drafts. Like they're literally dictating their first drafts and then they send that to somebody and the, somebody else types it out and then they edit. And I was like, oh my God, like yeah. there's the cheat code right there. <laughs> there's a cheat code to writing a book. So I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to put a book together right now. My goal is a thousand to dictate a thousand words every day. Okay. Right. And it's just kind of, it's just like flow of consciousness, right? Flow of consciousness Try not to repeat the concepts from yesterday, but try to get a little further on. But don't edit while I'm dictating. So just blah 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 yeah, blah yeah, blah yeah. blah. And then and then what I'll do is I do that in in my in my iPhone notes. And then I take my and then I sit at the computer and I put that in a word counter. And if I got a thousand, then I'll look at the key concepts. And then I'll start to use like copy AI or yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. AI generators to take break down bullet points so that I can start to focus on on more things. So right now I have a structure for 12 chapters. Each chapter I have three or four f- key concepts uh, that I want to get into. And so I'm just I'm right now my goal is 30,000 words. So once I get to 30,000 words, I'll start to structure everything into the, the correct format and then use whatever tools out there I can use to help me edit it and, you know, kind of compensate for my 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 English skills not being 100%. So that's another thing I'm working on. And then, you know, I opened a little Etsy store recently uh, selling like digital art, psychedelic uh, items, just stuff that I like, you know, stuff from my musical background and from, you know, from my imagination, from my artistic side that I want to do. It's called uh, it's called Red's Red's Planet. And it's just like a bunch of crazy. It's it's a bunch of crazy shit you could buy that, you know, it's either looks really, really cool, like cool artwork that's like psychedelic looking or 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 funny novelty items I created like a. 
30 fake books like fake book titles yeah like that would be like good pranks to like put on someone's desk and like you're yeah. looking at like what is this guy really like i, I wrote uh, there's a fake book title it's got like a business yeah. cover on it and it says embezzlement for beginners oh. right and then you know just like you just leave it on your desk and then your boss comes by or you you prank somebody yeah, and yeah. leave it on their desk and so i don't know that's i woke up one morning and yeah, i was just I love like that. So there's 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 that you can find it on Etsy. It's called Red's Planet, and then it's just a bunch of you know that's that that was the first products I started to make. I made like thirty. I made one called uh, Edible Recipes for Small Children, right? And yeah. it's got like a mom and a little kid cooking like marijuana <laughs> stuff. It's just a funny book. Um, how to make your coworkers disappear, like yeah, you yeah. know, and then like a funny like a funny comment where like I finally got that promotion, right? Because you made your coworkers yeah, disappear. Yeah. So that that was where the idea started, and then I started like working with some AI artwork generators and and doing a little bit of visual stuff and making posters, and so yeah, I'm just I, I'm just trying to make be authentic in who I am and create what I like to create, and not try to create for the just to monetize, yeah, right? Yeah. I just want to create. And if and if I'm creating something and it starts to monetize, that's that's badass. Yeah, That'd yeah. be super super cool. But in the meantime, it's nice to have it's nice to have my six figure working yeah. in a cannabis company. I can't complain about that, but it obviously it's not the it's not the pinnacle of where I want to be. I want to be financially independent, have a bunch of free time to spend with my kids. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. So, thank you so much for your time. How would people get in contact with you? Yeah, they can reach me on Twitter, the quality control guy. They can email me dannythequalityexpert.com. Um, and those are the those are the best ways to, to get a hold of me. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely wonderful. Um, thank you I, so much, man. Look, I learned. I'm gonna tell people. I'm gonna say, get the SQF. I'm just gonna really just tell people get the SQF. <laughs> get the get the certification, man. You yeah. get it. You'll get in. Yeah. All right. You have a good one. You too, man. Thanks so much. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.